Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Game 7 in the books with Denver and San Antonio. Special Saturday edition of the pod to talk about this and the action since we last spoke to you. But this wasn't the prettiest Game 7. They very often are not, but Denver somehow gets it done and they advance the second round to play against Portland. What were some of the lasting takeaways for you here as we just finished doing this game for the NBA cast? San Antonio not getting any shots in the early part of this game. I think we were like eight minutes in and they had an offensive rating of 22.2. And credit slash blame goes in both directions there. I thought Denver's defense did a really good job not giving San Antonio space to attack either for open jump shots or around the basket. But also San Antonio was, was, it didn't seem like they were playing with much zip. And then they also just were taking some bad shots. Yeah. And that incredible mid-range shooting that was Aldridge and DeRozan in game six was not there. Those guys just weren't getting great looks early on they weren't able to draw the defense and get their teammates open either it was a massive struggle for them and denver came out amped up really with the crowd at their back and it was really that first quarter that gave denver the lead that they ultimately would never relinquish although it came very close the spurs ultimately never actually had the ball with the chance to tie or take the lead down the end but yeah, that 23 to 13 first quarter it was really, I, I think, uh, what sunk the Spurs. And Denver did a great job in one on one defense, great job uh, of shrinking the floor. Obviously, before we go too much further, we have to talk about the end of the game. Greg Popovich and the Spurs absolutely pilloried for not fouling down four with about a four second differential after DeMar DeRozan had his layup blocked in a spectacular play by Torrey Craig. And yeah, that was pretty miserable. Pop didn't even call for the foul until there were 18 seconds left. So they had already wasted 10 seconds. If you're going to play the foul game there, you need as much time left as you can. But, and then when he was calling for the foul, LaMarcus Aldridge just never even occurred to him to even like pressure Nikola Jokic at half court. He just stood there and then he hands off to Murray and Patty Mills actually touches the guy with the ball uh, or, or Murray just ran off of him. Patty Mills actually touches the guy with the ball, but doesn't commit the foul. You could see Pop yelling for it. It was apparently so loud in there, but how do you, I mean, LaMarcus Aldridge is standing there at half court and to just not even look at the clock and realize, oh man, there's only a four second differential to not have that in your mind is just really bad. And, you know, Forbes, Gay, they looked over at Pop and Pop was still, was yelling for the foul after a while. And then when Mills didn't foul Jokic, despite being right there when he could have touched him, Pop just kind of like gave up and he's just like, all right, you know what? I'm too old for this. We're going to lose anyway. And, and ultimately probably too much attention will be paid to that because 25 seconds left down four fouling. They make at least one, almost certainly you're still down five points, only one timeout left. Um, but I thought the bigger problem was that Pop didn't call timeout after Jamal Murray made an impossible floater over LaMarcus Aldridge to push it to four. All of these different points are about maximizing a very low chance of victory, you know, like, but but they are important because it it's the decisions that can end up swinging a series. I mean, I, I don't think that is what swung this one. But yeah, I mean, the, the one you brought up in terms of having one timeout left, Jamal Murray making that shot, you're sitting there, okay, so it's at, he makes the shot, it's listed at 36.8. If you can get, you're down four points, can get a shot quickly enough, you know the other team if you can is going to take all the time they can. So you call the timeout to not have to waste the time coming up the floor, and hopefully you have a, a the best, the best out of, damn out of bounds play you have in your entire arsenal. You use it at that point and try to get something quickly. And then you all, that also allows you to instill in your players, Hey, if, if we, if we don't get it, you have to foul right away. If we do, then 
maybe here's here's what the timing is here's what the differential needs to be whatever whatever the coaching whatever the lesson that you're that you want the players to do the battle plan and that was significant too i like that you brought that up though because not getting you know DeRozan took the shot with about i think it was about 30 seconds left when the block happened and they recovered the rebound 28 maybe but yeah saving a couple seconds there would have made a big difference too though again if the shot gets blocked either way it probably doesn't uh, it doesn't change who won the game yeah that's true and maybe the thought was well we have enough time left at 37 where we can just push it up as fast as we can and try and get the two for one i think that's what DeRozan, to his credit had in his mind but i think DeRozan felt like he really needed to rush jamal murray made a really nice help play coming over to kind of slow him up and then craig was able to get the block uh, on ball after derozan pushed it well, derozan thought there was a foul there I, I didn't see one if we're going through coaching foibles i think another one that drove us crazy on the nba well, well, cast... can, can we finish up on the, on the timeout thing? sure sure there's, sure there's one other point in that so okay another reason probably why pop didn't want to take the timeout is it would have been his last timeout now i would argue setting up the two for one there you just you have to do that at that point um especially because you know you're gonna you're gonna be out of timeouts and then you'll need plenty of time left to bring the ball up and advance it maybe his thought is well we're pushing the ball up now we've got some momentum behind us and we save the timeout so that then if we score here we can advance the ball afterwards and still have a chance so it's not the more i think about it it's not as clear-cut as I thought at the time but I still think there you have to take the two for one now why does he only have one timeout left at that point is is the other question and the answer is he called a timeout at 244 left now remember once you go under three minutes you lose any extra timeouts that you have so you can only call two timeouts under three minutes he called one at 244 after that back door by Craig on DeRozan which was absolutely inexcusable to give up a back door at that point in time by DeRozan uh really big gaffe there uh so he calls the timeout there which you know i does that blunt the momentum i don't think either team made it any subs they did set up a really nice ato after that for forbes uh, to get a three that cut it to five so if they don't take that timeout maybe they don't get that three on the other hand maybe you could have just set up a, a similar play without taking the timeout as well so but that was you know one of their two timeouts and then they didn't have them down the end and i'm always an advocate that if there's any way to possibly avoid it you have to just save both of your timeouts to really like the last 45 seconds of the game or so to set up two for ones advance the ball make offense defense subs etc so the more i think about it it wasn't as bad as i thought it, it was live but still i mean you, you can't be happy about that and so now you want to say some other coaching guests right since that was related i i thought it was important to finish that, that what uh, there's actually one more related to the timeouts which was when demar Derozan grabbed jamal murray's miss with a little bit over a second to go it's exceedingly unlikely that san antonio is going to win the game because you, you it requires an unbelievable gaffe from denver's part to blow a four-point lead you know like a technical foul or something crazy like that yeah but they did still have the timeout left and i kind of think you know you might as well even if it's like a 0.005 percent chance take it and that's it again it's just like you're it's low chance stuff but i that's the way i i wouldn't like to see my season end the way that theirs did yeah i mean that was another one yeah it, it didn't really get into his hands even because murray did a great job of taking that three right as the shot clock expired as long as you hit the rim then you can actually burn off more than 24 seconds on that possession and but still yeah i mean how how bad do you have to be to not even take the time out once you finally get it after you didn't follow the entire time again like they weren't going to win the game anyway very unlikely with denver having the ball with you know 28 seconds left and a four point lead but get it at least give yourself some kind of a chance so what else were you gonna gonna mention i assume from earlier in the game yeah from the early part of the third quarter so there was a, a play where Derek White and Jakob Pertl miscommunicated and it produced a, a I believe that produced a, a wide open floater yeah from Jamal Murray yeah that was we think that's what it was I, I can't be certain, can't be certain but they but, were like looking at each other afterwards it's like okay what are we doing and it seemed like Pop sent the uh the subs to the table and then there was actually the reason we can't be certain is because there's like you know another minute and a half or two minutes without a stoppage and so they didn't he didn't get a chance to get him out of the game until, right like, especially and so Pertl came out really quickly because the next stoppage was 
was actually a jump ball that Derek White was involved in. And so oh, Derek, right. Derek yeah. White could not be subbed out. Then Derek White came out at the next stop, the subsequent stoppage there. And Derek White did not come in the entire rest of the game. They were So they were down 15 when Jamal Murray made that shot. And Yaka Pirtle only came in for a brief three-minute spot when LaMarcus Aldridge needed rest. And we'll talk about LaMarcus Aldridge's close to this game. Plenty. And... Yes, it is 100% true that San Antonio needed offense and they closed the margin. But another part of the reason why they didn't win this game, they did need that offensive push, but they had these stretches where they just absolutely could not defend the Nuggets. And Derek White, Jakob Pertl were two of their best defensive players in this entire series. And I mean, you could go through the annals, the Kawhi Leonard one in game seven of this Clipper series is the most memorable to me of what appeared to be pulling a player to to make a to to teach a lesson in an incredibly big moment and having that having a meaningful effect on the outcome of the game yeah i i mean there is Bryn forbes was awesome he played 39 minutes had 19 points the only player for either team in this game who could make a three-pointer is three or four from downtown i thought he did a really nice job in the second half to sticking to murray or harris blowing up those dho's which is just really absolutely exhausting for any guard and so i'm not going to say that playing Derek white again would have changed the outcome here or even necessarily made it closer same for purtle although perhaps you could say that having purtle in there at the end see now this gets back to the fit problems with derozan right derozan can't guard either the one or the two in this series because he'll have to guard off the dho and they just won't be able to do that he can't get through a screen so he has to play the three and now you can't go with gay at the three which means you got to have purtle out at the end because derozan has to be the three gay was going really well through a lot of this game he deserved to close it and then you don't have that much size and there's some key offensive rebounds that happened late too from paul Millsap. i don't think the nuggets scored off of either one of those plays but they managed to run a little bit more time off the clock spurs definitely could have used that time down the end as it turned out so i mean ultimately what it boils down to here is this spurs roster to me is very limited they also just did not play and you're not going to change how you play and be like oh we're gonna bomb from three all of a sudden in the playoffs when that's not something that you did in the regular year and that's really was the nuggets weakness is they give up a, a lot of threes so and they had a lot of one-way guys you know would i would i have rather seen Derek white play instead of marco bellinelli yeah probably you know bellinelli didn't do much patty mills I, I thought was solid at times but he wasn't doing much offensively either so but Derek white was a huge offensive liability for the last four games of this series and i also thought that derozan was a huge offensive liability when he didn't have the ball in his hands he had a nightmare first half missed his first six shots and then uh also had i think he missed his last three shots as well he had some pretty decent looks at it that could have maybe changed the fortunes but the nuggets part of how they shut the spurs down is they just weren't guarding DeRozan on the perimeter and he was able to get a couple of cuts every now and then but so many actions just got blown up by helping off of DeRozan, and that's what especially as you go into the end of a playoff series you're able to know everyone on the roster knows all right we're helping off DeRozan. we've been doing this for seven games in a row now so the nuggets were the better team they deserved to win the series they outplayed the spurs uh, most of the way uh, what else you got on this one mike malone made some strange coaching choices too i mean the the one that i i was going crazy about was keeping paul Millsap and tory craig out of the game way too long that happened in both halves in the second quarter when they went to the second unit they they did well in the beginning and then when san antonio brought lamarcus brought some of their best players back in san antonio started getting an advantage because demar de Rosen, his success in this series was largely based on who was guarding him. And some of that is just the physical the physical stuff, you know, like how how easily can he get by? And he and DeRozan had some blowbys by Tory Craig. I thought Craig did a solid job overall, but he did have these three just straight line drives in I think all of those were in the second half. But Denver was going with some of these lineups where the guy who was guarding DeRozan was Malik Beasley or Will Barton. And for the most part, those possessions allowed DeRozan to get more comfortable. He could drive with confidence. Generally speaking, Denver had worse rim protection on the floor because Paul Millsap was not out there. And those those weird lineups going really bench heavy and going with some bench players that didn't necessarily fit the lineups that San Antonio had out there, that could have been way more important had this game turned a little differently because San Antonio in particular made some shots. Not that Denver made shots either. They were two of 20 from three in this game. But I thought that, you know, those are the kind of things you file away coach in his first series about, okay, did he did he make the right decisions? Because when Denver is playing a better opponent, 
president, which they are going to do very, very soon, those decisions will matter more because the margin, if they're the margin is going to be significantly tighter in the next round. A few other notes here. Both teams actually ran a very similar set. The Nuggets had run it previously. I don't recall the Spurs running it, but basically it was putting all three guys who weren't involved in the pick and roll on one side of the floor and then essentially running a high pick and roll. And so this created confusion of who is supposed to help, especially with the ball coming to the side, because the idea is to get it to the roll man there. And there's really no one on that side. It's almost like the empty side pick and roll, but they're actually running it in the middle of the floor. And so the Spurs finally ended up managing to guard that better. And they had, because really you should be able to help. There's three guys on one side of the floor. Two guys can guard them easily, but you just have to know who it is who's actually going to help. And they started rotating the big over. And then the Spurs ran the same play themselves and got two easy layups uh, for Aldridge at the end Jokic was really the only guy who could score for either team in the first half he was at 7 of 14 but finished 9 out of 26 and it did seem like he wore down uh but LaMarcus Aldridge was not good against him in the post most of the series he was awesome defensively all over the place against drives against Jokic in the second half and it just wasn't quite enough and he was just doing a great job of not getting knocked back getting his arm up forcing Jokic to shoot at just a little bit more difficult of an angle on his hook shots and floaters than he wanted to so so he did a really nice job on Jokic Jokic did play a game high 43 minutes uh, along with DeRozan uh, Jokic finishing with a triple double 21 points 10 assists I believe his 10th assist was that Murray floater that essentially iced the game with uh, 37 seconds remaining and Murray in the second half he was the only nugget who could score in the second half he only played 32 minutes I thought he didn't play enough Millsap and Craig probably didn't play enough for me either you know they just went with Beasley for 20 minutes and Barton for 14 minutes and those guys were a combined two for nine they were terrible in game six as well so I, I agree with you I thought Malone stayed with them just a little bit too long especially in the second half to not come back with Murray um but Murray I mean was, this was just one of those fiending for a buckets game where you had to create something and it was very clear watching the Nuggets I mean he is the only guy on their team who can create any kind of a mid-ranger that's a decent look at all you know and that's a lot of pressure for him to deal with and I think especially after some real rough games in this series game game one and game three he fulfilled what he was supposed to do in this series now we haven't seen him go against like an actual good defense the Spurs team was not a good defense this Portland team is not gonna be a good defense either so with both he and Jokic you know this this series isn't like oh man all the playoff questions about these guys have been answered no this isn't really like a high level of playoff team like this is we're talking more about you know denver really competing at the highest levels and yeah this is a nice win for denver but let's not go crazy about what it means for the franchise here either i would agree with that and murray ha- uh, sorry um there were a couple nice plays by monte morris i thought i thought that he had some nice drives a, a, a few plays that helped kind of keep the offense moving just enough i mean we should we should talk a little bit more about just how how rough the off the shooting was in this game it was again exceedingly low turnovers just six for denver and five for san antonio but offensive no, both, ratings both both teams had six actually oh both teams had six i'm, I'm yeah. my, my oh yeah you're right yeah both teams had six um offensive ratings about a point per possession true shooting about 46 percent for each of these teams and there were times absolutely where they were playing good defense i would say aldridge in particular in the second half and then the nuggets collectively at a series of moments but yeah i mean this was there are game sevens that have this tenor of just who can scrape together a few buckets and i thought that some of it was inattentiveness and 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 also activity and opportunism for denver they got more system buckets or activity buckets to me and in a game this close those things really matter yeah the spurs really were not getting any system buckets until the fourth quarter when they actually got a a bunch of them uh yeah i mean it's just this the shot chart for the spurs it finally caught up with them here they took 37 twos outside of the restricted area and they made 10 of them <laughs> that's there's there's a a big part of your game right there the other thing was denver uh getting on the offensive glass both at the beginning of the game and the end 13 offensive rebounds to eight that was really big this is a spurs team that just 
wasn't as big as past Spurs teams are. I mean, with DeRozan at the three, two small guards, Mills and Forbes, Gay, Aldridge. I mean, there really just wasn't a great rebounder on the floor for San Antonio, even if you are forcing uh, some more difficult shots. And I think that's about all all I've got on this one. Uh, Anything else come to mind for you? Oh, oh, one thing that that I thought that Denver did change that seemed to work pretty well was they were pretty much doubling LaMarcus Aldridge most of the time in the post. And they stuck with that strategy again when it was White and DeRozan on the floor. They started sending those hard doubles. One time, Aldridge turned in pace and didn't put it on the floor. And then they just ran the double at him and, and he was able to get a nice pass to DeRozan for a cut. But generally, they waited until Aldridge began his back down with his back to goal before they sent the double. And the Spurs largely were just unable to take advantage of it. Just didn't get up enough three-pointers. Only 23 of those were there, six out of 23. The Nuggets, for their part, were two out of 20 from downtown. And eight of those 20 were shots by Millsap and Jokic, who the, you know, that their system doesn't really have plays in which those guys are supposed to take threes. Um, so the Spurs did a really nice job of stopping their better three-point shooters uh, from taking the three. And uh, yeah, yeah I, think, I think that's... Uh, I have a couple more this. things. Yeah. yeah so even though Patty Mills really struggled from the field in this series, he shot 34% from the field, 11% from three, including zero for seven in their game six win. I mean, he had some some real, some real rough shooting nights. I thought that the offense looked better a lot of times when he was on the floor. He's their best pick and roll operator. And I wonder how Mills' role is going to shift for the Spurs now that they're hopefully going to have Derek White and DeJounte Murray available. So just like how this team is going to run their backcourt rotation is is a big question. And then also, I think we should talk a little bit about, about Rudy Gay's game. I thought that he was a huge difference maker early when San Antonio couldn't get anything. He had more than half of their points. I think he ended up with more than half of their points in the entire first quarter. He had something like seven or nine out of 13. And he got more confidence. I think some of that also was built on the time when he was on the floor and Paul Millsap was not. But I thought Gay was a really important part. And if they had pulled out the win, he would have been one of the heroes. Yeah, he finally did a better job of attacking going to his left, which they were influencing to him all series. And he's able to get by Millsap and get nice extension with that left hand. I also thought Mason Plumlee had a better game this time. He had really been terrible in the last three games of this series and only played 12 minutes in this one. You know, Malone said before and he was going to go with Jokic all 48 if needed he didn't do that which i think was probably good because Jokic ran out of gas by the end anyway um but plumley at least held his own you know they were even when he was on the floor he had a big tip dunk right at the end of the first as well so that was that was important so yeah we'll talk more about their series with portland probably tomorrow night i would imagine since uh that one is going to start now on monday we'll talk about the other game today in a moment here but let's not be too hasty just like you shouldn't be too hasty if you're in a hurry or running late to try to beat a a train across a railway crossing if the signals are going you might feel tempted to try and beat a train across the tracks don't do it trains are often going a lot faster than you expect them to be and they can't stop even if the engineer hits the brakes right away a train can take over a mile to stop and uh the train's a little bit bigger than your car is you can't know how quickly the train is going to arrive all you're going to see is a light and it's coming in a straight line so it's really hard to judge distance there and the train can't stop even if it sees you so that's a really bad result if you try and sneak across. So if the singles are on, remember the train is on its way and you just need to remember one thing, stop because trains can't. Let's turn now to Toronto and Philly. And this game could not have been remotely encouraging if you're a Philadelphia 76ers fan. I'm guessing what you're getting at there. First of all, I agree with you. But what I'm, I'm guessing you're getting at is, yes, it is entirely possible, if not likely, that Kawhi Leonard will not go 16 of 23 from the field and Pascal Siakam Monaco 12 of 15 from the field in future games in this series. However, the bigger picture things that aren't really related to regression regression of the mean are very troubling for Philadelphia to me. Their offense just really didn't get going other than Reddick getting loose yeah. for five three-pointers. Yeah, in the that... first quarter it was good and then after that Yeah, that's really true. Ugly. They had, yeah, they had that se- that 7-0 or 7-2 run this to start the game, but even even then you could kind of see some warning signs. Yeah. I mean, they scored 31 points in the in the first quarter. Yeah. So the, so that looked good, but then but Toronto put up uh 39. 39 if they're on it and Siakam and Leonard uh, and made... each had each had 17 in the first quarter. Well, and they made was it 14 straight shots? Yes, yeah, that's what it ended up being from 7 to 2. Uh they beat 14 shots in a row which is but, pretty but, insane but so you you take those kind of ridiculous elements 
and and you push them a little bit by the side. I, I was very concerned about Philadelphia's offense. You know, like they, they were a lot of guys were struggling, and this wasn't you know like a a game seven played at altitude or any or any of the the kind of mitigating factors that I would argue in the game seven that came immediately after it. It was just Toronto defending really well. Marcus Sol did a great job on Joel Embiid overall. I Reddick got loose in that third quarter, but other than that, Philly just didn't he didn't he didn't get loose that often, and some of his shots were well contested. And then Siakam and Leonard did a great job defensively as well, oftentimes on Tobias Harris and Ben Simmons. Yeah, if you wanted to say we did our series preview for this and we both picked uh, Toronto in five, and there are a number of reasons for that, right? Well, one was add JJ Redick. Who's he going to guard? Like they can involve him in small, small pick and roll. They didn't do it that much, but pretty much every single time they did, they got good looks. I, I was charting it during the competitive portion of the game. They did about six or seven times, and I think they scored on all but one of those attempts. Um, Joel Embiid, is he going to be able to score against Marcus Ault? Is he going to be the best player in the series? Not early returns are not good. Embiid just not able to back down on Gasol. Gasol is just a master of the dark arts defending in the post. And frankly, on some of these plays, he's actually committing a foul, but he does it so subtly that people don't know. So like if I were the Sixers, I would actually be sending a tape to the league of this where at the moment Embiid tries to back down and makes contact with Gasol, he'll actually just like give him like a two arm bar to absorb that contact and not let him beat actually back down and so you should in theory you're not allowed to put two hands on that guy in the post but because Gasol just like does it just at the exact moment of contact the referee doesn't see it and so Embiid isn't able to knock him backwards and then when he tries to turn into him you know Gasol has a great length great standing reach he's got his chest on him he's pushing him backwards and it's just if you don't knock the guy backwards when you turn in for that hook shot and you're at 10 feet instead of six feet that's just an enormous problem uh, on those plays he tried facing up really wasn't able uh, to get much going there either uh, Gasol had good discipline not fouling not bailing and beat out uh, with cheap fouls uh, and beat only had six free throw attempts and he finished five of 18 for only 16 points and so it really and maybe Embiid's not healthy but this is what it looked like when he in the two regular season games against Gasol when he was a Grizzly as well for Embiid so and Embiid was coming off a pretty good amount of rest as well they got a quick turnaround to Monday for the next game hopefully he can go you know remember that game three couldn't even play in the Brooklyn series and he had some discouraging comments right before the game on how this is he's gonna have to continue managing this it's not gonna get better until he gets a, a ton of rest with that knee tendonitis so that was a major concern for me and i think he did have some very brief moments when he came back in in that second stint that he usually plays end of the first quarter beginning of the second and then same thing in the second half going against ibaka uh, whom he can overpower but you know there's always the adjustment there if nurse needs it to just mirror gasol's minutes with Embiid. so if Embiid's not gonna be the best guy out there and early returns on that are not good especially with Kawhi just incandescent the way he was uh, how is philly gonna score efficiently in this series you know that's one thing i mean and i'm sure there are many others that we could look at as you know this falling into exactly why we thought philly was at a massive disadvantage in this series i want to talk about another one of those which was how shallow philadelphia is that mike scott's absence made a huge difference because mike scott in a walking boot we don't know if or when he's going to be available in this series that required bringing furcon Corkmaz out of mothballs he was one for six from the field one for four from three i thought toronto they got better later on in the game but they weren't attacking him aggressively enough defensively he's very similar you you brought up on twitter like you could just basically attack him the same way they attack reddick that's totally fine and then jonah bolden who actually by the way Corkmaz, real quick sure he basically hasn't played a competitive minute since he had knee surgery like he was in the rotation for them during the middle of the year and then he had to have a a meniscus surgery i believe and then and he really had just other than garbage time he has hasn't played a meaningful moment essentially since that injury yeah and he was in he was i think he was the first perimeter player off bench or maybe he and ennis were and then jonah bolden tough tough for him i mean also bolden was playing a lot of power forward and not 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 exclusively but i think he played most of his time there and not really as much of a value out there he's willing to take threes i guess that's good he needs to actually make them every once in a while and so you those are the players who really got the primary minutes that mike scott would have played neither one of them looked up to par for me for for a series against an opponent this good and i mean toronto their rotation does not have weak points 
like that Philly rotation does. And then the other big Philly bench question is what happens with Boban? Because Boban got attacked pretty aggressively as well. Yeah, negative 17 for Boban in this game. There was a one play in transition where he got matched up on Danny Green and then he just overhelped off the strong side corner and gave up a three. The shooting centers were able to get whatever they wanted against him. Ibaka and Gasol. Gasol hit a three on him as well and he's not able to get out in the mid-range against Leonard either so yeah that's a major problem they did not go back to him for another stint well and 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 Toronto scored 1.64 points per possession when Boban was on the floor yeah and that was really a big part of that initial run that they made in the third we also one of the things we thought they might be okay at is guarding Kawhi Leonard and obviously Kawhi just went batshit insane with that 45 points uh he was eight out of 12 from mid-range three of seven from downtown got to the line at will at 10 of 11 got to the basket finished there and jimmy butler when Kawhi went at butler one-on-one he just torched him and he had this one spin move another time in the post where he just went in and went for a left-handed dunk where no one helped and then you know Embiid wasn't able to be that much of an influencer because they've got gasol out there a lot of time he's going to station out at, at the three-point line so that's going to mute Embiid's effect you know he's not gasol isn't quite the guy that al horford is out there but enough that Embiid's not gonna feel like he could just help with impunity I guess Ben Simmons is going to be the best option on Kawhi they gave James Ennis some time there Ennis was the best option for Memphis two years ago against Kawhi Uh, not that that doesn't mean a successful option but just the best of the guys who were available at that point in time so they do in theory have options but you know Leonard torched all those guys and so we thought that might be one thing they had and Siakam they didn't really weren't able to guard him either so we thought hey they've got all this size they've got these versatile athletes on the perimeter and nope those guys got lit up anyway yeah and and so Philly doesn't have a lot of they don't have a lot of counters some of that is personnel and the limitations of their specific roster and so you're sitting there going well how do you do better maybe you can force the ball out of Kawhi's hands though you're largely conceding better shots to other guys like that that's what you're doing there and a lot of and maybe you can try to do a better job getting back in transition Philly has been pretty bad at that this year I thought that that was some of what Siakam did so well was just pushing and creating an advantage and he's been great at that all year and they can shoot better I mean maybe maybe they could do that they were 39% from the field uh 42% on twos 34% on threes not getting not having an advantage at the free throw line is also going to be a problem for Philly I, I think they'll they could maybe turn that a little bit but I mean I, I don't think that Toronto was getting away with a ton it was just they I think they just committed fewer fouls than Philadelphia did and so the, to me there are some similarities with this series and Philadelphia's last series they're just on the other end of the talent disparity where like they can win games because they're they have a lot of talent they have good players but the default expectation is that Toronto has all these material advantages so they can steal a game here or there they can have a hot shooting night or or play better defensively but Toronto is the superior team a couple other notes on this one Tobias Harris kept Philly in it for a time early running some pick and roll hitting some mid-rangers but ultimately he struggled 38 minutes 6 of 17 five turnovers and uh, was negative 23 the turnover battle during the competitive portion of the game really went Toronto's way Toronto with especially with that compacted spacing and their active hands they got a lot of strips on drives the interior passing that Philly relies on was not really there and so they forced a lot of turnovers. Philly not as turnover prone as they used to be Butler's a pretty low turnover guy so is Harris but still something that can lead to issues and then Toronto you know Kawhi is an essentially low turnover guy Siaka those are guys who just like to iso beat their man so you're not going to see that many turnovers there they're not you know uh incredibly high pass team toronto gasol is a good decision maker and then philly just never forces turnovers that's just their defensive style so toronto's gonna have the advantage there philly did have some success on the offensive glass 10 to 2 there in the first half but that wasn't nearly enough when toronto had all the other advantages um what did you think of uh, ben simmons game tonight i thought he was all right i mean there his baskets maybe this is just 
because of the the speed sometimes with which he plays but it, it felt like those were simple like that he was getting more separation or just like getting to the basket and then the other times when he had the ball was just a little bit more of a grind a little bit more of a struggle but defensively i thought he did fine i thought you know not perfect but probably the most stout guy for philadelphia on Kawhi and it's going to be incredibly hard though on the other end for Philly to reliably get good shots because if Ben Simmons doesn't have the ball, Toronto has a, a slew of smart defenders and there will be times that if they help off of Ben Simmons, that Simmons will be able to attack and maybe he can get a layup or a fast dunk or a pass to the interior or something like that. But if you're playing the numbers game, I would say more often just congesting everything else will create more positives than those those possessions for Simmons. I did think that Simmons was good attacking I mean, he was 7 of 8 from the field for 14 points. Uh, only had 3 assists, though. As Philly got beaten in the fast break point category, 21 to 13, that's where Simmons is going to thrive, as Jared Dudley would tell you. But I did think he, if he's being guarded by Siakam, I think they actually could milk that matchup. I think he can overpower Siakam. Siakam is not really that strong in, in his... That's kind of part of why they struggle on the defensive glass, especially when Ibaka is in there, too. I think they really need to hit the offensive glass hard because uh, they're just not going to score otherwise and hope that pays off well enough in terms of not giving up fast breaks the rhythms of this game were really interesting because philly has these times where they'll go with their five-man starting unit or four starters at odd times which is supposedly informed by their analytics department like to start the second and fourth quarter they'll have all five starters in they did that at the end of the third as well when they were able to get back a, a little bit into contact briefly in that second half but then there's also these times when Toronto hurt them in the starters versus starters minutes and then middle of the th- of the first and third going into the end of the first and third before Toronto goes to its bench they basically have the exact same thing where they have their starters going against a bunch of Phillies reserves and Phillies reserves don't mix as well and of course uh, are so much more limited than Toronto's reserves now Toronto's reserves were in the negative not as bad as, as some of the Philly reserves I do think that you know with Gasol only playing 26 minutes it was in control down the end anyway and Ibaka had some a much better second half and played better but I do think that ultimately Gasol's minutes will have to be extended to go against Embiid I think especially at home if they're down 0-2 we'll see Embiid really try and plow through Ibaka and they might have to consider doing a little bit more minutes mirroring there but unlikely that Nurse is going to go there at this point in time because they won you know it's it's rare that you'll see any kind of a rotation adjustment from a coach after they win the, the game the Sixers might consider trying to double Kawhi a, a little bit uh I think especially if they run that small small pick and roll but you, you just try and blitz them and then deal with it behind it they got like a nice Danny Green roll to the basket on the first one of those and they did blitz it with uh Redick guarding the screener would you maybe consider putting Joel Embiid on Siakam maybe, maybe so so would the idea there basically be you're going to concede some open corner threes but just to just to muck everything else up yeah and and siaka i mean he's not looking to take a mid-ranger so you once he gets the ball you can kind of just back off at him and say hey take a shot off the dribble and if you want to try and dribble in on joel and score on him go ahead you know kind of kind of guard him like he's Giannis basically and and Siakam has really improved his three-point stroke above the break i still don't trust it as much in the corners he, he's been very good uh but I, yeah it's worth trying i mean they're gonna have to go to some they're gonna have to go to some different approaches and i mean losing Embiid's rim protection more regularly is a huge detriment to philly's defense because they have a lot of other talent but they don't really have guys with that in their skill set in the starting five yeah and if mike scott can't play I mean, Ennis is obviously going to play a lot of minutes. Maybe they did go with Ben Simmons at center in the second half rather than going back to Bolden or Boban in the fourth quarter. You know, maybe you just bump James Ennis up to 35 minutes a game and just say, we're going to give, we're not going to play a backup center and we're just going to play James Ennis 35 minutes and everyone else 38 minutes. And, and, you know, that's, that's just how we're going to do this. Now that limits your ability to play all five starters together. That's a problem if you go with that approach and maybe you just try and find some spot minutes for Bolden every now and then they tried putting Bolden in with the other four starters just to kind of handhold him along Cork Maz, I just I mean I guess they feel like they need more shooting because I mean 
despite how crazy Siakam and Leonard went, you know, I don't know if you're going to stop Kawhi when he's like this anyway. So maybe the thought is let's uh let's go for more offense, and maybe Corkmaz can provide that. But yeah, I don't know. Not a lot. Not a lot of answers off this Philly bench. That's for sure. Something else I wanted to mention: Philadelphia only had two blocks in this game. One of them was Greg Monroe in garbage time, and. I'm not, you know who had the other one? J.J. Redick? <laughs> he did. Yeah. I don't remember the play. I'm sure we, we saw it because we were watching that. We didn't do that game. It was game. probably just like some strip or something. Yeah. I, but, I, I don't remember him skying above the square to, to reject anyone. No, I, I, I don't recall that either. But so, so we'll keep an eye on whether that's, you know, because I mean, Toronto's going towards the basket a fair amount. They're also, I mean, Kawhi's mid-ranger is, is a very tough shot to block for basically anybody. And then the way that he can move people is incredibly impressive as well. And sometimes that's car space to the rim but other times it's just getting getting some room for his jump shot and not as much for this series because because of the advantages we talked about but toronto is going to need their bench players to step up in a theoretical conference finals against either team whether it's the bucks or the celtics and i didn't particularly like powell's game i agree with you that abaca played better in the second half they did in the first and van vliet was just a little bit disjointed it was also weird that he missed three of his four free throws and i think those guys will get into a rhythm but by you know two weeks from now they they need to be in a rhythm yeah i think those guys were scoreless in the first half actually there are three three bench guys yeah in toronto i mean 11 to 17 for mid-range in the competitive portion of the game i think philly can defend this team better than they did tonight and i think they can score a little bit better too i'm not saying that philly's not going to be competitive in this series but if you're looking for a reason for optimism other than Embiid getting going just for a short bit against ibaka and some okay moments from harris like jimmy butler we haven't mentioned him he did nothing in this game four of 12 team worse negative 23 10 points uh i thought he, he was 0 for 3 from 3 and his inability to really give them spacing when he's off the ball hurts them quite a bit i don't think i think toronto's going to do a better job on reddick next game as well that matchup is interesting if toronto can get away with going with danny green on reddick because lowry can guard jimmy butler and butler can't make him pay in that matchup that's going to be another advantage for toronto as well i thought reddick did well against lowry a lot of the third quarter he had all five of his three-pointers in the third for his team leading 17 points which again that's uh that's pretty ugly but it, starting to ramble here but really it, it comes down to Embiid if Embiid isn't going to dominate in this series they're not going to win it that's just how it's going to be and I don't know what the answers are there necessarily I mean maybe it's Butler and Embiid pick and rolls to try to get him a, some more chances against Gasol make Gasol work out in space a little bit more maybe it's every single possession that Serge Ibaka is guarding him you post him up right under the rim but Abita seemed to say basically that with his knees that that doesn't work as well for him really like being physical and posting up under the rim so I don't know you this is one of those ones where it's discouraging because you can't be like oh yeah like they screwed up this rotation or with this one guy on the floor that they can take out they got killed you know there there is not really an obvious adjustment to make uh, at this point in time agreed it's it's a little bit dispiriting for a team as talented as as philadelphia is and you could conceive of a different eastern conference or even maybe a different matchup at the top four but that's top four is super good where their weaknesses would be less significant and their strengths would be more valuable but toronto is just such a brutal matchup for them i i, I see some parallels between this and utah houston in the first round where this series should not be necessarily other than their depth and some of the decisions that that were made on that front it should not be seen as an indictment of the sixers if it goes the way we expect but there oh, is it a... should be seen as an indictment of the sixers because the the depth thing is just atrocious sure but like i mean even if the starters versus starters minutes going as poorly as they did and, and i think those will be yeah. a little bit better for philadelphia moving forward i mean they threw a ton of resources into having that five and marcus in particular i mean this is why toronto traded for him he by muting joel Embiid, and i mean the knee injury is, is certainly affecting things as well it takes away one of the defining characteristics and then having so many good forward defenders and then just diligent enough guys on on reddick it puts a lot on jimmy butler puts a lot on ben simmons and they're a brutal matchup last thing here because we probably haven't talked about Kawhi enough because yes with this kind of performance there's not really anything to say i mean he was just beating guys and getting out in transition some as well i thought defensively his ability to help off of simmons was really valuable he had just a ridiculous block with the left hand on, on uh, tobias harris that led to a, a siakam run out dunk that was a, a huge play uh and so we 
talked about before these playoffs of well with lebron out of the playoffs and getting older the title of best player in the world is up for grabs and harden curry kd Giannis, like that was the top tier of our top 10 players in the nba ranking and so far Kawhi leonard is making a bid to be in there i mean he's probably the mvp of the playoffs so far here although we can transition now to the conclusion of the clippers golden state series and the 50 points by kevin durant including 38 in the first half also uh making a bid for that title kevin durant has set and he's played a lot of playoff games he set his postseason career high twice in this series against the clippers and he should have done it a third time except that game the warriors were ahead by so much after three quarters that he never played in the fourth and really the the ultimate of those performances 50 points 15 of 26 from the field 14 of 15 from the line five assists four turnovers huge performance from him the second most points in a half by an individual in postseason history finishing one short of sleepy floyd in the second half against the lakers and just a dominant performance the the whole, remember how long ago feels like the whole i'm kevin durant and the how many shots is he going to take stuff and and great durant only took 26 shots from the field though he had a ton more shooting possessions but he was absolutely incredible and something else that really opened things up and we'll see if this has longer tentacles into the next round and potentially beyond that the warriors opened up so much by just setting their screens a lot higher on the floor and whether it was curry or whoever else that was giving that player so much more real estate to work with and it was a reminder of how limited la's backline defense is yeah exactly i mean when you get that four on three you might say iguodala and draymond green aren't the same guys they were before but i think curry noted this after the game that they got seven lobs pretty much all of them out of that play of just high pick and roll at the top draymond green coming downhill lob it to andre and kerr did feel the urgency here kevin durant despite what ended up being a blowout played 42 minutes he went with sean livingston in the starting lineup so he could start draymond green at center we thought it might be looney probably actually should have been looney frankly the way they had played with looney on the floor andrew bogut was quite minimized as well in the rotation looney was plus 17 by the way in, in his 15 minutes he was outstanding again the other thing too is just lou williams suffered to a negative 28 3 out of 21 performance and yeah he did have seven assists the defense was better on him but he also just missed a lot of the exact same shots that he was making in oakland in the series and that was the case as well i mean even game four at the start of the fourth quarter that maybe could have changed this to a 2-2 series lou missed a bunch of pretty decent looks you know at the same jump shots that he was making in oracle so yeah they defended him better clay thompson spent more time on him did a great job they were able to get a, a lot more turnovers out of him harrell also was pretty minimally at five fouls only 10 points in 17 minutes they took away those big starts to the quarter by not letting jermichael green get wide open threes when he's being guarded by bogut at the start of each half so the needed adjustments were made clippers will of course have much more to say about their offseason daniel gallinari had a really nice game in this one that should be acknowledged with 29 points and shea gilgis alexander showed more promise as well getting to the rim and uh he shot the three ball well i thought that was encouraging for his development he's got to learn to do it off the dribble now but at least being able to hit spot ups and be pretty aggressive this is a a good series for him going forward but the price was paid by the warriors in this series going forward first of all a near 36 hour turnaround to play in game one on sunday against the rockets at 12 30 pacific and number two clay thompson and steph curry both questionable clay there seems to be more concerned for him than for curry clay drove the lane in the third quarter someone slid underneath him he sprained his ankle actually made the shot amazingly but that's a big problem for them going into uh, this rocket series already looking a little bit vulnerable and with the rockets uh, on fire right now it's also challenging timing in the immediate because not only do you have the i think it was 39 hour transition from the end of game six to the beginning of game one but game two is in in quick succession that'll be on tuesday then there's a long gap but if the warriors lose lose games one or more at home they lose home court in the series this is a very talented rockets team and you never know if these things are going to linger i've heard more pessimism about clay's ankle and suitability or viability of replacements is a huge problem for just about every great player even on a great team but clay in particular like the warriors do not have anybody else that can provide what he brings i mean they have other good defenders they do not have many other good shooters and 
If so if he cannot play or is limited, those responsibilities are going to have to fall on a lot of different guys and they won't do nearly as good a job of filling them. Yeah, I think I don't want to spend too much time on you know, if Clay doesn't play. I do think at least if he's limited on offense, he can still largely fulfill his role by at least spacing the floor. But it, it's been very clear in the games that he's missed. They've had some of their worst offensive games because they just don't have enough spacing around Steph and KD any longer. You know, I think it's going to have to devolve a lot more into KD working in ISO. And then if Steph, a lot of his ability is to get to the room. He did a lot of that in the series last year. If the ankle is bothering him, that ability could be potentially compromised as well. Then you think about having to slide their feet defensively against James Harden. That's not going to be good either with these ankles. So this is this is not good for Golden State. We don't know the severity yet. And, you know, I mean, to make this a series, Houston is going to have to get one of these first two games in Oracle. And now it's looking much more likely that they will be able to do that i don't think that many people are going to get a chance to listen to this before the actual game comes through so i don't want to spend too much time on the preview um but a couple of things that you wanted to say that really stuck out to you maybe houston's defense has looked so much better since that disastrous part of the season i don't think they have the same ceiling as last year's team due to the lack of front court depth and that will be a much more significant issue against the warriors than it was against utah just due to the structure of where their best offensive players are on the floor kevin durant most notably and i mean ariza was houston's best defender on him last year he is unavailable they've been going a lot with this three guard starting five with eric gordon who is physically strong but just not nearly as large of a human being and harden and chris paul together so you know they'll try out a lot of guys i think the early games in this series will partially be determined by you know these coaches sorting out who can and cannot play against these we might see some really bad like kenneth Fareed minutes or some bad bogut minutes early on and then whichever coach adjusts more quickly will will gain a real benefit there i also think we could see some really aggressive minute totals in game two because of the long gap and the coaches know that going in really whichever way game one goes game two is going to be so important for both of these teams i mean if houston win game one game two puts them in a massive advantage and if the warriors win game one then they know if they pull out even with all the injuries that they're dealing the two injuries they're dealing with if they can get games one and two then they're fine and they have to you know so so i'm gonna watch the the minute totals there i think that's really interesting and then how quickly does Kerr go to his best lineups? He has historically been very reluctant to go to the death lineup, to start the death lineup, to overuse it. There, w- It was hard last year because they were dealing with, you know, Kevin Durant coming. Oh, no, that was Curry that was out last year. Curry being out going into the playoffs. And so they actually did start Iguodala in, earlier in the playoffs. But when does he go to his his kill wraps and when does D'Antoni, what does he, what does D'Antoni even think is his best five is going to be important too. Yeah, a few interesting things here for me. Andrew Bogut, is he going to start again? Slater had this in his preview that Bogut actually played for the Lakers against James Harden last year and was okay even with worse talent around him. And Bogut certainly knows the angles in pick and roll. If they want to play that drop system where they send Harden in to help, Bogut can do a decent job there. You would think, you know, just a conventional pick and roll defense. Now, that also could just leave the them to attack curry in the small small pick and roll get the switch and have harden go at him so that's one thing that, that's really interesting to me is how much is bogut gonna play and then i could see kerr trying to steal some minutes for bogut against chris paul like oh harden's out of the lineup but to me when chris paul is in there and with the warriors switching talent if they can go to an all switching group you could really just lock down those chris paul minutes because chris paul is not the iso creator that he was even a year ago if you say oh we can steal some time with bogut here now all of a sudden you're letting chris paul just run conventional pick and roll he can get to the elbows he had that game with 23 points and 17 assists in oakland where they won without james harden uh and let chris paul get to that mid-ranger against a conventional pick and roll defense i I think you if you're going to play bogut you're probably better off playing him actually when harden is in the game as opposed to when it's just paul because then you're giving them a a place to attack where you know if you go if you switch i think houston's really going to struggle to score in eight minutes without harden on the floor 
Another interesting thing to look at is obviously that step back three-pointer by James Harden. Is that going to go in so much that the Warriors have to start playing a more unconventional defense like what we saw the Bucks or like what we saw Utah do? Generally, what they have done is, yeah, shade him left, make him go to his right a little bit, but nothing too crazy. And, you know, if, if James Harden is going to make every step back and they have to start just forcing him to drive like that, that could change a lot. Is Steph Curry going to hold up? He actually was wasn't bad last year against Harden one-on-one in the playoffs although during the regular season uh, Harden has cooked him a, a little bit more you know, Kevon Looney he did a pretty good job uh, on Harden last year that'll be another matchup to watch uh, when they go into the switching scheme then for Houston what is their defensive strategy going to be we've seen them get away from the switch everything approach that so befuddled the Warriors at times last season and so is it going to be pick and rolls involving Capella now it's two on the ball and the Warriors can move the ball and, and get they want or you know if there are screens involving capella's man are they going to step two guys out is capella just going to be a switch guy they don't have as much in terms of guys on the wing this year to where they can play tucker at center that much clearly when they play tucker at center you think they're going to go to just an all switching group they went more with the all switching down the end of that series against utah so my prediction is they're going to just go back to switching everything at the start and kind of see how that goes uh and try and help off the non-shooters as much as they can the warriors certainly have uh, many counters to, to that uh, of course with green and iguodala screening slipping to the rim how much are the new rules going to affect things uh, as well is houston switching going to work as well against some of those split cuts and stuff when when you hold guys rolling to the rim you're actually going to get called for a foul is it, what's the level of contact going to be allowed off the ball by houston so so that's going to be really interesting as well to see i mean to me you know i think houston is going to have good games and bad games in the series and that's going to be reliant mostly upon whether that step back three-pointer goes down for Harden and then whether some of the support guys make threes as well you know I think the default strategy for Golden State is going to be you know we'll let Harden get his and defend him as best we can but we're not going to give up open looks to the other guys but I think really what's going to make the difference is whether Houston can impact Golden State on the other end I think Golden State has the more explosive and consistent offense overall and they also have a a lot more defensive talent than the Rockets too so assuming that Clay Thompson gets back to at least being able to play and you know isn't just awful defensively and can't move you know as long as he's got enough gravity on offense you know I do think the Warriors are going to take this series I'm going to call it a six gamer in in favor of of Golden State but to me it's really what happens on Houston's defensive end of the court that's going to determine how long the series goes at least one game in this series will be decided by the guys who each team doesn't want on their own team to shoot shots makes them i mean that's just the way it often works out with these two teams and you know the game seven of the western conference finals last year is an extreme example but that's just the way you know what houston is going to concede a lot of times is going to be three-point shots for warriors that don't particularly want to shoot them and so will those guys take those shots will they make those shots that's going to be important i want to see if and when guys like alfonso mckinney and quinn cook play because the warriors just don't they don't have that many guys and so yeah every especially if clay is out i mean they just need cook shooting or or like they're gonna have to play jerebko or something too who's who's gonna just be a complete traffic cone against harden right so so who plays and when you know daniel house who was on the warriors training camp roster and got cut in favor of mckinney how how well does he play in the series i think he's better suited for it than mckinney is and yeah it's it's going to be fun it's going to be fascinating there will be sloggy games in it but tactically execution wise it's going to be going to be fascinating and the stakes are incredibly high i'm also interested to see what the matchups are for houston uh, and clearly those can be scrambled a lot with the switching but my guess would be they're probably going to go with tucker on draymond so that he can help out capella will, will guard the center of course and then eric gordon i'm guessing is going to get the main matchup against kevin durant and just try to get under him some with his size maybe we will see tucker get that matchup when both teams go small but Houston just not having Ariza I think is going to matter ultimately in just not having that one versatile defender who does Harden guard is going to be real interesting too right so I guess you put him on maybe he goes on Draymond to start and then Tucker gets the the assignment on KD you know maybe that's a, that's what they end up doing yeah that's the more I think about it, that's probably what it will be because just Harden has to be somewhere and that's probably going to be uh on Draymond to start games and and then maybe Iguodala at other times but there's going to be so much switching i think it's going to be really interesting and look for 
were all those things that we talk about how to beat switches that was such a topic last year of just you know sprinting into screens so that when you switch the guy isn't quite there yet or you know just faking the screen or fake dho's all these little things where it's like okay you do five of these things every possession and maybe you know every every other possession you'll get a guy to break down and miscommunicate you know i mean you just have to be very disciplined about it uh and if you're golden state to beat it and houston they're not going to do that kind of stuff really you know they'll they're going to try and get the switch with harden and they're going to try and have him score and, and create everything and that's uh that's their philosophy other than you know they don't run much in terms of plays really to get him going you know maybe they'll run that 21 action on the corner where he starts in the corner and tries to get going to his left hand but the warriors can switch that you know in a way that say a team like utah couldn't so you know, i don't know how well that even is going to work so it's going to be uh it may not be the prettiest basketball but it's going to be absolutely fascinating as it was a year ago and i think houston is absolutely capable of winning this series agreed one other thing i want to mention foul trouble I, there will oh I, god you have a lot of guards with a propensity to commit fouls in bunches in this series guarding guys who can force people to commit fouls in bunches so i mean steph curry dealt with that in the Clippers series clay has dealt with it throughout his past harden and paul on, on their lines and these players just they there aren't there aren't replacements because replacements don't exist for them i mean they're too they're too damn good so that's gonna be important you picked warriors in six correct i did that is my prediction as well clay's injury if it is severe it's i i was leaning towards six before that happened and that might push it a little bit but without any f- more knowledge than i have right now i'm gonna stay with six i can't wait for it and uh we will talk to you all tomorrow night once that game is in the books advance the schedule a little bit because we had uh, some good games here on saturday uh, anything to talk about before we go dang i will have a ser- the remaining offseason previews for the teams that were just eliminated so that'll be san antonio and the clippers those sh- i'm guessing will be out monday i don't usually push to get content out on the weekend so you can look for those then and you could also listen to the real jam radio that i did with sam vicini we talked both the 2019 draft like everything from the ncaa tournament and what's happened declarations and all that but also 2020 nike hoop summit jordan brand mcdonald's all that kind of stuff so it was a fun conversation and then we ended up talking about the clippers because we both love talking about the clippers yeah we'll have their off-season preview pretty soon here we're gonna probably start breaking into those uh, very shortly talk to you all tomorrow night till then reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest but let me play devil's advocate here let's see so no that's a good thing uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. 